Hey everybody, welcome back to our Prove It podcast where we seek to study God's Word and find ways to prove it in our lives. And lately we have been going through the book of Mark. We've been going through this first account of Jesus' life that was written by Mark, uh, was in, probably influenced by Peter, and uh, we're now nearing the halfway point. In yes. fact, we're going to get there today. We're mm -hmm. going to cover chapters 7 and 8 today. We've been going one at a time, but we're going to double up today. Yep. So we've so we got to talk fast. Yes, we got a full slate. Um, so but just to kind of recap, you know, Mark's purpose in writing was to help his audience know who Jesus was. And he shows this in a number of ways. We've seen it through the miracles that Jesus has performed. I mean, recently we saw several, and, and we saw that uh, Jesus had power over lots of things, like disease and demons and death. And, and then we also see these miracles in which he kind of harkens back to the Old Testament. We just saw the feeding of the 5,000, where, um, you know, thinking about Moses calling, you know, on God and, and delivering manna to the people. Right. Uh, Jesus now multiplies these loaves to feed this group of 5,000. We just saw that. And uh, so Jesus is continuing to reveal who he is. And we also see a variety of groups of people and how they respond. Some are very open to that message. Uh, some you can clearly see recognize his power. They come humbly and, and he honors that faith. And there are others that struggle and uh, we're going to continue to see some of these same things in our chapters today. So uh, maybe share with us a little bit. What are we going to see in chapters 7 and 8? Yeah, so like you said, um, Mark chapter 7 and 8, this is like the halfway point. This is the, kind of the climax of the book. Mm -hmm. um, he is going to spend most of his time with non-Jewish people in this section. So this is... Um, this is going to be miracles uh, to non-Jewish people or Gentiles. Um, mm -hmm. This can be interactions with those people. Um, and this is also the first time that his disciples are going to recognize, oh, this is who you are. Yeah. And then that kind of is the turning point of the book where he starts to say, okay, this is who I am. And this is what I've come to do. And, oh, they don't quite recognize that, even though he's pretty clear with them. They don't quite it doesn't quite click in their minds yet yeah. uh, but he starts to kind of say more and more okay i'm going to the cross this is what i'm gonna do yeah yeah the very first time we see a very clear reference about his death which yes. is significant and those first eight chapters we've talked about jesus spends a great deal of time around this area of the sea of galilee and he's going visiting all these towns going to the synagogues and then you know we also see this division is on, on the western side is more the jewish area mm -hmm. he spends a little time there uh, in these chapters but then he spends more time now on the eastern side back to the decapolis which is predominantly gentile like mm -hmm. you you said you know we see a little bit of, of both but these first eight chapters are all his galilean ministry and now we're gonna start headed heading to the cross in yes. jerusalem from here on on out. So um, yeah, so there's a lot going on here. And I think if you could pull out a major theme of both seven and eight, I think there is this theme of being slow to understand. Mm -hmm. And you see that with his disciples. And the fascinating thing is you see it primarily with his disciples, some with the Pharisees, but then that lesson is also taught in these miracles yes. to the Gentiles. And so that's, that's something that we want to be watching for yes. when we, when we read today. Um, so anyway, yeah, which yeah. Is very it's interesting. Like, like object lessons. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Uh -huh. Yeah. Jesus is a, a good teacher. So typically we always kick off kind of talking about some historical things. Um, since we have a couple chapters, we're just going to jump into the text mm -hmm. and maybe cover stuff as we go. Um, so 
I will go ahead and read for us. This is going to be the beginning of chapter 7, uh, verses 1 through 12. It says, The Pharisees and some of the teachers of the law who had come from Jerusalem gathered around Jesus and saw some of his disciples eating food with hands that were defiled, that is, unwashed. The Pharisees and all the Jews did not eat unless they gave their hands a ceremonial washing, holding to the tradition of the elders. When they come from the marketplace, they do not eat unless they wash. And they observe many other traditions, such as washing of cups, pitchers, and kettles. So the Pharisees and teachers of the law asked Jesus, Why don't your disciples live according to the tradition of the elders instead of eating food, instead of eating their food with defiled hands? He replied, Isaiah was right when he prophesied about you hypocrites, as it is written, These people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. They worship me in vain. Their teachings are merely human rules. You have let go of the commands of God and are holding on to human traditions. And he continued, You have a fine way of setting aside the commands of God in order to observe your own traditions. For Moses said, Honor your father and mother, and anyone who curses their father or mother is to be put to death. But you say that if anyone declares that what might have been used to help their father and mother is Corbin, that is, devoted to God, then you no longer let them do anything for, for their father or mother. Thus you nullify the word of God by your tradition that you have handed down, and you do many things like that. All right, so we have an encounter with Jesus and the Pharisees. We haven't seen this for a while. Mm -hmm. And if I remember correctly, the last time we really saw a showdown was back in chapter three. And I think you were with us uh, for that discussion. Yes, about the Sabbath and and Uh violating the Sabbath again. Yeah, and similar circumstance. uh, They were frustrated that Jesus was healing on the Sabbath, but yet here was a man in need of healing. And they would have rather followed this tradition than to help somebody mm-hmm. that, that needed help. And, um, and that's, that's kind of what Jesus, and he gets very mad in mm-hmm. that passage. I think when I read through this this time, what stuck out immediately was how direct he is and how clear he is being with the Pharisees uh-huh. and what they are, are doing wrong. Um, but yeah, do you have any other thoughts as you initially went through this section? Yeah, so I, you know, it, it talks about Corbin, uh-huh. you know, yeah. that so idea of Corbin. What is what is Jesus saying there? Yeah, so I guess <laughs> they had this rule or this law that, um, you know, it was it was the best thing to do would be to give your stuff to God, like to devote your things to God, and so that was obviously an honorable thing to do and mm-hmm. something that that God desires that you would devote things to Him, um, but they would kind of work around it by saying. Um, by this rule of Corbin, which they would devote something to God after they died, but that way no one else could use it but themselves. So it was going to go to God after they died, which is not a bad thing, but it was kind of this workaround so that they didn't have to use it to help other people. So Mm -hmm. like, even if their parents needed money Mm -hmm. or their parents needed something, they Oh, it's Corbin. I it's God's. So you, sorry, you can't use it. It's I, I only I can use it because yeah. it's going to be God's later on. Right. So they ha- yeah they had this tradition where you know and, and and for the Pharisees specifically everything there was a difference between those things that were holy and set apart mm-hmm. and then just common things and so they were able to this a tradition that they had to designate something that they would give to the temple mm-hmm. or give in service of God um, and they could vocalize and say this is a holy thing right and because of that no one else could use right. it and and yeah then what you're saying 
Jesus points out this example. You have mothers and fathers who the Old Testament and the Ten Commandments commands right. you honor and obey them, and you you then neglect that in favor of holding to this right. tradition. Right. Um, so, and, and he says you do a lot of things like this. Right. I mean, he's right. he's yeah, very direct with them. So it, it kind of reminds me of modern day virtue signaling, mm -hmm. you know, where people will say something to to look good in front of you know they say the right words these are the right words to say so that mm -hmm. other people look at you and oh man you're you're good you're holy you know mm -hmm. but their hearts are not in the right place they're not doing what they're what they're what god desires of them so right exactly so yeah not uncommon for us to see this kind of conflict uh -huh. now between Jesus and, and the Pharisees. I also like that he, in verse 10, he, he does, you know, when he goes back to the Ten Commandments, he talks about Moses specifically. Mm -hmm. I, I think I, I don't want people to miss the connection with the end of the last chapter. We had the feeding of the 5,000, and so much of what was displayed there in that miracle was that Jesus is, in essence, a new Moses. And uh, when I see these encounters with the Pharisees and Jesus, I see, you know, these guys who are so confident in their knowledge of the law, and they're standing before the author of the law, mm -hmm. the, the master teacher, the one who fully knows everything right. and they don't, they don't even realize it. Right. And they come across as so arrogant mm -hmm. and, and cocky. Mm -hmm. um, I think anytime you watch a movie or you show, you know, a show, you see that sometimes that tension of someone who's so confident, but they don't realize how they shouldn't be right. in right. light of who maybe they're interacting with or who they're yeah. talking to. Um, so, and, and I think it's also important to note here, sometimes Christians, we, you know, we see here that there are these traditions that they have. I think sometimes we can maybe overcorrect. Traditions aren't in and of themselves right. bad things. I right, mean, because God gave traditions to the people in the Old Testament to right. help them remember, to help them to obey and do the things they were supposed to do. Yeah, and so much of our faith is built upon mm -hmm. traditions. and But those need to be pointing us to the heart of God right. and who he truly is. It's when those traditions get in the way of following the commands of God, which is what happened with the Pharisees, mm -hmm. that it becomes a problem. And I think we it's, that's a good thing to maybe consider um when we're thinking about how we make decisions today right. so all right let's keep going do you want to read this next part so we've, we've talked about uh had this encounter with the pharisees we're going to continue to um move on this passage is, is a little bit connected as well um and so uh do you mind reading reading this next one all right starting in verse 14 Again, Jesus called to the crowd, uh, he called the crowd to him and said, listen to me, everyone, and understand this. Nothing outside of a man can make him unclean by going into him. Rather, it is what comes out of a man that makes him unclean. After he had left the crowd and entered the house, his disciples asked him about this parable. Are you so dull, he asked? Don't you see that nothing that enters a man from the outside can make him unclean? For it doesn't go into his heart, but into his stomach and then out of his body. In saying this, Jesus declared all foods clean. He went on, What comes out of a man is what makes him unclean. For from within, out of a, man, a man's heart, comes evil thoughts, sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, greed, malice, deceit, lewdness, envy, slander, arrogance, and folly. All these evils come from inside and make a man unclean. Okay, so in the previous passage, we had this deal with hand washing. That was, you know, ceremonially what they needed to do. And it, it separated those who were pure and not pure. And so Jesus comes like teaches off of the same theme, talking about food mm -hmm. and and how, okay, you 
listen, what really makes somebody unclean or, or un, unholy is, is not food. It's not, you know, it, it is all about these spiritual things that point to our, our own sin nature. And he, he lists those out. Um, and so he's trying to help the disciples connect the dots. This is, this is kind of a, sometimes can be a, a confusing passage because mm-hmm. you have these laws that are written. These are not traditions from right. the Pharisees, but there are laws around diet. And right. so this is the first time that we see a shift in some of these. Um, any initial thoughts on that? And I'll kind of try to yeah, I just, you know, we th- we talk Somewhere. about some of, the, some of the diets that they had to follow in the Old Testament. There, I mean, there was a lot of rules around mm-hmm. that. And, and I think um, part of the things that, part of the things that marked the, the Jewish people was, oh, we don't eat this stuff. Like, yeah. we don't eat this that stuff. That was a big part of yes. what separated them from the rest of the yes. world. Yes, and so, you know, we, we read in the book of Daniel how Daniel, you know, when he goes into exile in Babylon, he's expected to eat all these things um, at mm-hmm. the king's table, and he says, I am not going to eat that stuff. You know, that that was something that marked the people of God. They did not eat these certain things, and I think that's um, important to remember about why those dietary laws were established God wanted his people to be separate. Like these people were supposed to look different from the rest of the world. They were supposed to look different because God was going to use this different separate group of people to send the Savior into the world. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and I think what's important to note here is that I think there is some commentary on how we look at the Old Testament. Jesus made multiple statements about valuing what was written in the law. I mean, he said in the Sermon on the Mount, I didn't come to abolish the law, mm-hmm. but to fulfill the law. And that's, that's probably the best articulated way to kind of explain right. how all of a sudden are some things different and some things still the same, and how do we determine the difference? Sometimes that can be a hard road to navigate, and we've seen it a little bit already with the Sabbath. And, mm-hmm. and Jesus, he's the Lord of the Sabbath. Right. So if he decides, okay— the rules are going to be changed a little bit. He's able to do that. He is like, we can't forget what, who he is. Right. Um, he is the author of, uh, of scripture, but here he's kind of pointing out that there are laws, particularly these ceremonial laws that served their purpose. Their purpose was to point to a coming Messiah. Right. Now the Messiah is here. And so that purpose has been fulfilled that they were in essence, like a, a lesson. The principle of the matter still remains that we are, are, are unclean because of our sinfulness. Mm -hmm. But he almost in the Old Testament gave a concrete example to help us understand the harder to see spiritual Mm -hmm. example. And so this is what he's trying to help his disciples to see. I also think it's significant that Mark talks about this because Peter is the one. I mean, when we think about that moment where these dietary laws change, Mm -hmm. we often go back to, is it Acts? Acts 10. Okay, Mm -hmm. yes, with Peter and that vision he right. had three times and um but it actually was here at this moment right. that things changed and it was and i think you know there are certain laws in the old testament that were for the specific nation of israel for the purpose of separating a group of people for the purpose of bringing about a messiah this was god's plan all along right. and and jesus is trying to help them see that um i heard someone use a really good example that said, the, like the Old Testament, reading through it for these people or for anyone that doesn't have the New Testament, it's kind of like walking into a dark cave. And, and in this cave, you know, there are all these treasures and they exist. They're there, but you just have like a small candle. And so you can't see all the intricacies of everything. 
But then we come along and now Jesus comes and he is the light. And now he illumines everything. We can go back to that cave with the full light and see, oh, wow, there are godly truths in here that existed all along, but it was just kind of hard to right. see them clearly. But Jesus brings about a clear picture. And I think the gospel helps us see that as we go through right. the Old Testament. And, and so it's not that, okay, it's different now. We've changed the rules. Mm -hmm. It's that, no, it's been fulfilled and we can see more clearly God's plan all along. Well, and I think it makes the Old Testament richer mm -hmm. like when you when you go back and read it and oh oh okay you know you see it with new eyes i was yeah. just reading the story of you know people on the road to emmaus after jesus has resurrected and jesus is kind of going through the old testament and teaching them now that he's resurrected what that looks like and oh my goodness like all these treasures that you didn't yes. see before you can uh -huh. see now yeah um, i know you and i have been watching through a series called uh -huh. wandavision I, this is what i think about too and uh -huh. it's it's if you've watched it it's one of those shows that it builds upon itself that you don't know what's happening at the beginning right. and then it reveals everything and so you want to go back and watch uh -huh. the beginning because that you'll see so many right. things that you would have missed before and you use the example yeah, yeah share that i i listened to this podcast um by a woman named uh Tara Lee Cobble, and she's, she talks about how, you know, you can go back after the resurrection and see literal Easter eggs, you know, in the in the Old Testament, literal Easter eggs that you don't know until you've seen the resurrection. Yeah, because we talk so. about Easter eggs all the time uh -huh. and other things, but literally Easter eggs, right. the resurrection and, right. and how that shows. Right. I, yeah, I thought that was a good, good example. Another thing so. I think is interesting, just as we transition to the next section, is, uh, you know, in Acts, God uses this unclean and clean food to, to talk about the Gentile inclusion. And then that, this very next section, yeah. he's traveling to the Gentiles. So he's talked about everything's clean. Yes. And now we're going to go to these Gentiles that have been considered unclean. Yeah. Here we go. Yeah. You know. Jesus isn't just teaching it. He's, he's going to prove it. Yes. So yeah. And that's what we'll, we'll see here. So let's go ahead and keep going. Uh, do you want to read this next one? Sure. Uh, starting in verse 24. Jesus left that place and went to the vicinity of Tyre. He entered a house and did not want anyone to know it, yet he could not keep his presence secret. In fact, as soon as she heard about him, a woman whose little daughter was possessed by an evil spirit came and fell at his feet. The woman was a Greek born in Syrian Phoenicia. She begged Jesus to drive the demon out of her daughter. First, let the children eat all they want, he told her, for it is not right to take the children's bread and toss it to their dogs. Yes, Lord, she replied, but even the dogs under the table eat the children's crumbs. Then he told her, for such a reply, you may go. The demon has left your daughter. She went home and found her child lying on the bed and the demon gone. Okay, so just to give a little context where we're at. So Jesus leaves and, and heads pretty far west now to on the Mediterranean Sea. So Tyre is, is right up here. So it's pretty far from the, the Sea of Galilee. And we're getting back into uh, more... Gentile territory. Right. And we see this woman is Greek. Um, she's not a Jew. Right. And uh, yeah, so this is a, a good, a good miracle. Jesus has often pointed out uh, examples of faith. And, and this is a really mm -hmm. clever one. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. Any, any thoughts there that you may have? Yeah. Uh, you know, I think at first reading of it, you kind of hear like, Oh, he's calling her a dog. That's probably not really. Uh huh. You know that doesn't that doesn't seem to to mesh with what we think about Jesus and how he feels about people. You know, especially mm -hmm. on the people on the outskirts. You know, so. Yeah, yeah, and I I think it's important for people to know 
Jesus had a plan mm -hmm. and he was staying obedient to that plan. His plan was to reveal his identity to the people that were expecting a Messiah, right. to the Jews. Um, but there are so many times that his he's able to kind of stop and still teach a lesson because the overall plan was not to just limit to the Jews. Right. It was for everybody. Well, that I mean, that's he went to Tyre, you know, mm -hmm. like right. he didn't stay in the Jewish yeah. parts. He went out, you know. Yeah, and that can seem unfair. And I don't think this is an example of Jesus showing partiality, mm -hmm. like caring for one people group more than another, but it has everything to do with timing, right. that this plan was was very specific. And there was, uh, you know, it began with, you know, so that the Jews then could, right. they were the ones who knew the history, mm -hmm. and then they could be able to easily explain right. that to the Gentiles as well. Right. And, um, and so that's kind of, I think, what we see going on here. And I just love thinking about that image in verse 30. You know, she went home and uh, you you just see the desperation on all these mm -hmm. people that come to Jesus, and um, you know just I just try to think about what it would be like to you know you're you're coming home your your child is demon possessed and I don't know exactly what that looked mm -hmm. like and then to just see them there resting and there right. and just how you know thankful and mm -hmm. and overjoyed you would be to to see that and to see peace restored to to your life so um, I don't know I just always like thinking about those those pictures right. Yeah. And I, I think in the parallel passage here, you know, Jesus commends this woman's faith and it's, mm -hmm. it's her faith that mm -hmm. leads to this healing. You know? Yeah. Yeah. Um, she, she knows that Jesus has a plan and a purpose, yes. but she is just, she understands it and she speaks mm -hmm. to it and she comes humbly and it's like, listen, right. I, I know this is right. not what is in, is in your plan, but, uh -huh. but you know, please, yeah. I know you can do it. Please uh -huh. do it for uh -huh. me. Yeah. Yeah. All right, we're going to kind of summarize it. So then at the end of seven, we have one more miracle, which Jesus heads back to the Decapolis. And if you remember, that was where we had seen this man in, in Mark 5 uh, with the demon that he cast into the pigs. Mm -hmm. And so very Gentile area. Right. So he heads back to uh, back to that region. And there is a man there who is is deaf. And um, so Jesus, it says, he puts his fingers in the man's ears. He spits on his tongue and touches it. Uh, and then he is, he's healed. Um, you know, we talked about at the beginning that some of Jesus' miracles, th these are very real, real miracles that he did, mm -hmm. and they had the purpose of helping these individuals, but sometimes they had a greater purpose. Right. You really see that in the book of John uh, because John doesn't even call them miracles. He calls them signs. signs. And, and so each of them was a miracle, but then it also taught something about who Jesus was. Mm -hmm. I think in this chapter we see a lot more that these are not just miracles on the surface, but they mm -hmm. show something more. Right. Um, I think just the idea of Jesus digging out our ears <laughs> so that we can hear uh -huh. points to what we have been seeing all along, mm -hmm. that people are hard-hearted, the Pharisees are hard-hearted, or what we're going to see, the disciples, they are not getting it. But they need a touch of Jesus to be able to hear and to be able to see and and it's a, and here it's a Gentile mm -hmm. as again. So it, again, Jesus isn't just for the Jews, but he's right. he's for the the Gentiles right. as well. So, all right. And then we move along, beginning chapter eight. So we're still in the Decapolis. Mm -hmm. And again, we're going to just kind of summarize these first ten verses. Do you want to do that for us? What we see here? Yeah. So this is another miraculous feeding. Um, I think it's interesting that he you know he goes. He previously has gone to the Decapolis, like you said, to to drive out the demons from from that man into mm -hmm. the pigs and everything. And that guy stays in the Decapolis. He stays there. He wants uh -huh. to go with Jesus, but Jesus says, you need to stay here. Right. And it seems as though 
maybe he's gone and kind of told his story because uh, now Jesus is in a crowd with 4,000, at least men in this crowd who he's yeah. going to feed. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, th- I think that's an interesting, you know, interesting thing that maybe that guy was part of spreading that word about yeah. who Jesus was and what he'd done. Um, so now Jesus is here again. Um, and then he, he does this miraculous feeding where it's, you know, similar situation as last time. These people have been here listening and they're hungry. He says to the disciples, okay, we're going to feed them. And the disciples it's like they forgot yeah. what happened uh, with the 5,000. two chapters ago. Oh, uh, what are we supposed to do? I don't, right. you know. Uh-huh. <laughs> um, but yeah. Jesus does it again, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, it's almost <laughs> almost word for word in some ways. Uh-huh. You know, it says again, Jesus had compassion on them. Right. Uh, and just all, all very similar. But the disciples, yeah, they ask these questions. Where in this remote place can anyone get enough bread to feed them? How many, and you know, Jesus says, how many loaves do you have? So you would think, okay, I, I think what Mark is trying to show here is the disciples are still not quite getting it. Right. Here we have a circumstance. We have even less people and we have more bread to work with. Right. But yet they're confused. Uh-huh. And I, the only difference is really where we're at. Uh-huh. One side was predominantly Jewish. This side is predominantly Gentile. So you just have to assume that they are thinking Jesus is not here to bless right. Gentiles. He's here to bless the people, uh, the Jewish people. Right. So they're not, they're not getting mm-hmm. it. But he shows them otherwise. Right. And so I think that's a, a big portion of what we see in why this miracle is repeated to show, right. you know, Jesus to show he is, his plan is for mm-hmm. everybody there. And again, we see this hard of hearing on the, on the part of the disciples. So, uh, but we're going to keep going. And this is now in verse 11 of chapter eight. It says the Pharisees came and began to question Jesus. To test him, they asked him for a sign from heaven. He sighed deeply and said, Why does this generation ask for a sign? Truly, I tell you, no sign will be given to it. Then he left them, got back into the boat, and crossed to the other side. The disciples had forgotten to bring bread except for one loaf they had with them in the boat. Be careful, Jesus warned them. Watch out for the yeast of the Pharisees and that of Herod. They discussed this with one another and said, It's because we have no bread. Aware of their discussion, Jesus asked them, Why are you talking about having no bread? Do you still not see or understand? Are your hearts hardened? Do you have eyes but fail to see and ears but fail to hear? And don't you remember when I broke the five loaves of, for the 5,000, how many basketfuls of pieces did you pick up? Twelve, they replied. And when I broke the seven loaves for the 4,000, how many basketfuls of pieces did you pick up? They answered, Seven. And he said to him, do to them, do you still not understand? So thoughts as you go. So Jesus has this well, couple things. We have these Pharisees that are asking for a sign. Mm-hmm. And <laughs> I, I love that Mark gives us the detail in 12 that he sighed deeply. It's, it's yeah. somewhat comforting to know that even Jesus gets frustrated. Uh-huh. And I have to think this had to have been like a huge sigh for Peter to remember it, Uh to tell Mark, you know, some decades later. Uh, And so, I don't know. I just like to see Jesus frustrated sometimes. (laughs) (laughs) So uh, anyway, I think that's good for anybody in in ministry. Um, Yeah. So they continue to, they ask for a sign. They've seen every sign. They've, we've, Jesus has done it all. Um, But yet they, they, they are no longer there to put their faith in Jesus and to believe in him. Mm -hmm. They're just trying to, to test him. Right. But then they have this in, in, in encounter. They're in the boat, him and his disciples, and they're traveling, and they realize they just had one loaf of bread, 
<laughs> and Jesus starts to teach them using yeast as a right. kind of a metaphor for something. And they're like, oh, man, oh, he's he knows we didn't bring enough bread. And <laughs> so anyway, I don't know. Any any other thoughts about about that one? No, I just, you know, I think it's funny that it's 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 like a parenting moment. Yeah. Don't you remember how many baskets of bread did you pick up after this? Twelve. Uh-huh. How many baskets of bread did you pick up? Seven. You uh-huh. know, like, uh-huh. you know, we yeah, have those moments with our not children. About the bread. So, yeah, uh-huh. yeah, yeah, just, yeah. That's what it makes me think yeah, of so yeah yeah so and he uses you know he's talking about the pharisees and of herod just avoid because we've seen herod is hard-hearted he's he sees jesus as a threat the pharisees see jesus as a threat that those emotions those feelings keep them from really realizing who he is so don't be like them that's what he's saying all right this next part we want to kind of read together there's another miracle and then we have um and some encounters with with peter uh would you read that for us starting in verse 22 sure They came to Bethsaida, and some people brought a blind man and begged Jesus to touch him. He took the blind man by the hand and led him outside the village. When he had spit on the man's eyes and put his hands on them, Jesus said, Do you see anything? He looked up and said, I see people. They look like trees walking around. Once more, Jesus put his hands on the man's eyes. Then his eyes were opened, his sight was restored, and he saw everything clearly. Jesus sent him home, saying, Don't go into the village. Jesus and his disciples went on to the villages around Caesarea Philippi. On the way, he said to them, Who do people say I am? They replied, Some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, still others, one of the prophets. But what about you, he asked. Who do you say that I am? Peter answered, You are the Christ. Jesus warned them not to tell anyone about them. And then keep going to 31. Then he went... Then he began to teach them that the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders, chief priests, and teachers of the law, and that he must be killed and after three days rise again. He spoke plainly about this, and Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. But when Jesus turned and looked at his disciples, he rebuked Peter. Get behind me, Satan, he said. You do not have in mind the things of God, but the things of men. Okay, so there's a lot happening here, but I think it's important to have all this together. Uh You know, we... We have this amazing moment, and I, I don't want us to not see what's happening. Jesus has been showcasing who he is, and there's been a lot of confusion. Oh, is he John the Baptist, or mm-hmm. is he a prophet? Is he? But now, finally, for the first time, outside of the demons who know the spiritual reality, his disciple Peter says, you are the Messiah. Mm-hmm. And, and I'd have to think maybe for Jesus, this is such a great moment that they are finally able to vocalize it uh-huh. and, and see it. Then you turn around and we see this moment where Jesus is, then explains what, now they know who I am, they need to know what it looks like right. to be the Messiah. Right. And he talks about his death right. and he talks about suffering. Mm-hmm. And this is not the picture of a Messiah that, that Peter had. Right. And so Jesus corrects him. Peter corrects Jesus. Yeah. 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 Well, Jesus then, uh-huh. yeah, yeah. Kind of yeah. rebukes. Yeah. Uh-huh. Yes, yes, yes. Um, and then, but I, I think it's significant that we have this miracle beforehand. Yes. Because we talked about, you know, it looks like he, you know, he's healing this man who is blind, you know, spits on, on his, his eyes. eyes. And uh, yeah, that's awesome. Uh, <laughs> but he opens his eyes and he can't quite see everything just yet. He just sees sort of shapes and everything. Right. Then he does it again. So it, it at first glance, you might think, well, that's weird. Why is it this? It took a little extra effort. Right. But I think what is happening is Jesus is, is using this also as a, an mm-hmm. example to teach. Where in a very similar way, the disciples, they see who he is, right. but they're still she- seeing just like shapes and it's shadows. Cloudy. 
And but there's a, a greater reality of what that all means. So right. I, I think that's kind of a good thing to keep in mind when we read through this whole thing. Any other yes. any other thoughts? Yeah, so. I mean, I think uh, this Peter and the disciples when they signed up to follow the Messiah, you know, this they would have thought, okay, the Messiah is coming to overthrow Rome and to be, you know, we're we're going to march into to Jerusalem and take this place back, you know. Yep. Uh, we're going to, he's going to be like King David. And uh, that's kind of what they picture. So when Jesus starts talking to them about dying, it's like, well, no, Jesus, you know. So I, I think it comes from an honest place yep. from Peter and the disciples, you know. It comes from a place of like, well, but that's not, that's not what the, the Messiah is. Jesus, come on, you know that, you uh -huh. know, and, and for Peter, you know, Peter has these really high moments and these really low moments. And these, this comes like right after each other, you know, this really high, like, I know you're the Christ, but then no, the Christ doesn't do that. Jesus, you know, yeah. it's, it's this really high and low moment for Peter. Um, but he's nothing if not honest, yeah. you know? And yeah. And thinking about this too, thinking about how we present the gospel to other people. I, I wonder if there's some truth to be learned from the model here. I am all in favor of being as clear as possible yeah. with people about what it means to follow Jesus. But I also can recognize here that Jesus had a, a relationship with these people mm -hmm. before he started to really talk about the reality of right. what it means to follow him, that this is going to be a life that is going to be tough. Mm -hmm. Like if you're going to follow me, I I'm headed to my death right. and you need to be willing to do the same. Mm -hmm. Um, so I don't know. I just think that's that's kind of maybe something to consider and think about. Yeah. And I think they're able to trust him because they've been with him for so long. And and that's been an important part of their their relationship. And then that's where we start to see this shift that things are we, we've you know been going uphill. We've been gathering people. We've been talking about who, you know, revealing this identity. But the the key to unlocking the full gospel is going to be the cross. Right. And now we are moving in that direction mm -hmm. and we're starting to talk and teach in that way. And that's why you see, I think, at the very end here, Jesus is a lot more clear. And um, so I'll read it. This is what he says. Then he called the crowd. So he pulls everybody in, not just his disciples, uh, along with his disciples and said, whoever wants to be my disciple was, must deny themselves, take up their cross and follow me. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it, but whoever loses their life for me and for the gospel will save it. What good is it for someone to gain the whole world yet forfeit their soul? Or what can anyone give in exchange for their soul? If anyone is ashamed of me and my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, the Son of Man will be ashamed of them when he comes in his Father's glory with the holy angels." So initial thoughts on, on just that kind of conclusion of chapter eight. Yeah. Um, I mean, I think they would have known what it meant to take up their cross, you uh -huh. know, seeing Roman executions, you know, around, you know, where they, where they were so that they would know what that means. Um, and that has to be puzzling to them. Yeah. You know, like uh, what, you know, we read it. We know that Jesus went to the cross. They didn't know that yet. Yeah. They didn't know he was going to die that way. <clears throat> yeah. And so I think that was probably confusing to them and hard for them to hear and understand. Yeah. This know? is not a message of growing in power, right. but of pouring out your life. Right. And uh, yeah, uh, yeah, I do just kind of wonder what they were thinking, uh, because this is now the first time we begin mm -hmm. to see this. And um, Jesus, this is definitely a transition point as we go throughout the rest right. of Mark's gospel. So, 
Anyway, well, as we conclude, uh, we always like to do our prove it moment. So when you look at these two chapters, what is it? Maybe a, a spot that you read through that, man, it really hit you and is something that uh, helps in your own life and, and apply a truth to your own life. What, what would that be for you? Yeah, I think mine is, you know, in the very beginning of Mark chapter seven, when Jesus is talking to the Pharisees just about, you know, following their rules and and looking holy and doing the right actions but having the wrong heart mm -hmm. um i you know i think for me it's a lot easier to follow a list of rules sure. like it's it's easier for me to say oh yep i did that yep i did that check off all these boxes and to say yep i'm i'm holy you know um, but I think that's just a good reminder to me that um, it is not about a list of rules that I can check off or it's not about how I look to other people, but it's about my heart and the condition of my heart and how my heart is toward God and, and what position my heart is in toward God um, to hear from him mm. and to do what he wants me to do, um, regardless of what that might look like to people around me, to the world, to whatever. Um, but it's just a, that reminder um, that it's what he sees in me versus what maybe I want other people to see in me. Yeah, that's great. No, I, I, I love that. Uh, for me, it was going back to that Syrophoenician woman. And I think looking at, you know, Jesus was such a good model of, you know, the tension between things. And, and so he he had a plan. He was being obedient to his mission on here on earth to go to the Jews, but that did not get in the way of his ability to also have pity. And, and so I, for me, it's, I think it's, it's important for anybody, you know, maybe you're the type of person that, man, you're, you're struggling with having a plan or fulfilling what it is that God has desired for your life. And it's important to have those things. It's important to know, and it, cause that is what, like being obedient to what God has for us, but we can't allow that to stand in the way of those moments of compassion. I feel like compassion can only be seen when we're willing to be interrupted. Mm -hmm. And, and I, I just love that Jesus showcases that because it, for me, it just provides such a good model. I, I think it's, I'm probably on the side of, yeah, I, I like to have a plan. I don't want things to get in the way. And it's easy for me to miss those moments of compassion and those moments that it's, it's good to be interrupted. Um, this is how we show the type of love that, that God has. And, and I just love that picture uh, of Jesus. He's, you know, he's on a mission, but it is not, um, it doesn't stop him from helping those who right. are, are truly in need. And, and, and that's compassion. That's compassion. So anyway, but no, good chapters, a lot going on yeah. there. Uh, so next week we're going to be going into Mark chapter nine and uh, we'll, we're headed now to the cross and we're going to see more, uh, more details that point us in that direction. So just encourage you to join with us and continue to read with us. Uh, if you get a little behind, that's okay. Feel free to catch up. Uh, but we appreciate you, you joining with us. And as always, if you have any questions along the way, maybe there's something that we didn't cover that you have a question about, feel free to, to let us know. Uh, you can post on our Facebook group or, or send me an email, uh, daniel at leclaircc.com. Uh, otherwise, we will see you next week and have a, a good rest of your week.